You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. Pack your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now, so get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lords. Everyone and welcome back to another fantastic edition of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 36, Resurrection of the Daleks Story Review. I am, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, the man who is almost but not quite the Eighth Doctor, we have Paul Gann. Hello, boys. Just in time for the fun. Time for the fun. <laughs> <laughs> I like that line from the last episode of this story arc. Just in time for the fun. <laughs> How are you doing, Paul? I'm okay, actually. I've been getting a lot more sleep lately, and I'm feeling a lot more uh, energetic, and maybe it'll show on the podcast. We'll see. You shall see. <laughs> well, there are no real news items that we need to uh, discuss right now so i think we're just gonna jump right into our review of resurrection of the daleks spoilers uh this is of course the only dalek story arc dealing with the fifth doctor peter davison obviously uh, and it was the fourth story of season 21 and was aired in two consecutive weeks uh, from the 8th to the 15th of February, 1984. It's been almost a year, or excuse me, almost five years since the last Dalek story arc that we talked about last episode, Destiny of the Daleks. You starting to see a pattern here? <laughs> Let's do this and then wait five years. Do it again. <laughs> yeah. Well... <laughs> But then that changes after this. The funny thing about this story arc was it was recorded and filmed as four 30-minute time slot episodes, like mm -hmm. like normal Doctor Who episodes were during this time period. However, due to the 1984 Olympics, 
they decided to consolidate the episodes into two hour-long episode blocks and play them over two weeks to maximize the amount of time that they could be airing Olympics footage. That's not how they're put in the formats that we have them now. Well, the the special edition uh, DVD set has uh, both the original aired versions with the two 45-minute episodes or the four 22, 24-minute episodes. I didn't get to watch that. <laughs> I own the DVD, so, you know. Okay, right. so there is there is a special edition, though, right? There is a special edition. Uh, the effects aren't really changed or anything. It's just the, the format change, basically. Well, I, I could see some spots in a couple of places where there should have been a special edition. <laughs> yes. But we'll get into that. <laughs> yes. Before we get into it, though, what are your overall thoughts on uh, Resurrection of the Daleks? I like the story. I'm not as happy with some of the execution as I was the last two or three that we've done. And it's not got anything to do with Peter Davison. It's got more to do with, at least in my opinion, some of it feeling like it's a little stretched in order to be able to fit it into four episodes. Mm. Okay. I feel like that it could have very easily been told in uh, like maybe a hour and a half time slot as opposed to two hour time slot because it just feels like there's some filler in there to me but we'll get into that we will get into that uh i i enjoy this this episode uh it is i'm not gonna say it's my favorite um there's a few things in here that you know execution wise and and uh Storytelling wise, there there may be a little too much going on. Uh, the uh, there may be too many subplots in this episode. Uh, but I think I think in this thing we could be looking, at least in my opinion, at a situation where there should have been more exposition in certain parts of the story and less exposition in other parts of the story. Yes. The interesting thing about it, though, is that this sets the whole stage going forward for the next several Dalek story arc. It sets the Daleks and Davros on a new direction. Right. Uh, since we, you know, we got the whole, let's set the Daleks up as this big foe for the doctor. And then we went back and saw the creation of the Daleks. And then we got to see Davros come back with destiny of the Daleks. And now it's like, okay, where do we go from here? What's the next twist that we can put the Daleks and the doctor through now? And that was the point of this. It was like, okay, Let's send the Daleks and Davros on a new direction uh, yeah. that the Doctor has to keep you know, running into. And it's interesting about that because it was written by Eric Saward. Saward? I'm not sure how you pronounce that name. Who is not the creator of the Daleks' Terry Nation. So this is the first episode since Day of the Daleks that Terry Nation hasn't written. And you can tell that it's got a different feel to it mm-hmm. uh, than the last three. The tone, I guess you'd say, of the last three felt kind of unified. Of course, they're all written by the same person. But the tone of this one seemed to shift a little bit, uh, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, and it wasn't that noticeable, but it was noticeable. Yeah. I but... will say this. I noticed something this time when I watched this that I didn't notice the times before when I watched this. And I, I guess I'm just like I said before, in that mindset of kind of being more and more and more immersed in 
Doctor Who, the more that I'm watching this stuff, I noticed parallels this time in the performance of the Doctor that reminded me a lot of the first Doctor. Yes. One Um, of the things that I find fascinating with Peter Davison's fifth Doctor is up to this point, he's the youngest actor to play the Doctor. Right. And I believe he's the second youngest actor to play the Doctor, aside from Matt Smith. But he plays the Doctor like an old man. Yes, he does. So, you know, which is is really interesting because we have... Tom Baker, who's you know this middle-aged man uh, who plays the Doctor like a big kid mm-hmm. in many respects, and unless he's you know getting upset about something, <laughs> the Fifth Doctor is played like an old man by the youngest actors to play the character so far. Yeah. And it's funny; he's got a pair of you know half glass spectacles that he pulls out from time to time. Well, we said before that he actually even wears the same hat. Uh, as the first doctor, you know, if it's not the same hat, it's very <laughs> similar. Uh, yeah. so yeah, he, <laughs> that Panama hat that yeah. the doc, the first doctor brought out during the chase, uh, makes several appearances with the yeah. fifth doctor. Uh, it, it, there was up in his several times. I almost expected him to say my boy, you know, <laughs> because there, there were certain phrases and things that sounded to me a lot like first doctor uh you could tell he was sort of channeling that a little bit definitely so yeah it, it's just interesting about that fact and, and we get a little bit of that um in this episode too but we'll, we'll delve more into that as we get into the story right now uh we are nearing the end of the fifth doctor's run uh he's got two more story arcs to go planet of fire and the caves of Androzani. And, of course, he regenerates at the end of Caves of Androzani. So this is near the end of his run, and you can sort of tell that things are coming to a head for the Doctor. Of course, since it's been five years, we also get new companions for the Doctor at this point. We have Tegan and Turlo. And Tegan made it onto my favorite companions list. I think she was uh, near the bottom of that list. Um, But, of course, we were doing, like, only... A handful of them. <laughs> she thinks she was one of my honorable mentions. And this isn't her best story arc. She doesn't have a lot to do for a good chunk of it. Uh, yeah, I was going to make a point of that. She doesn't have a lot to do for most of it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but you see, you, you don't really get the full effect of who Tegan is yeah. with this episode, uh, unfortunately. But it is a great you know way to sort of end it off for her. But we'll get to that at the end. She's a loudmouth Australian air stewardess, <laughs> uh, as the doctor has you know, referenced to her before. And she's got a lot of personality, and when she sets her mind to do something, it's almost impossible to, to stop that from happening. <laughs> she's a force of nature, and the doctor has to either find a way to either aim that force of nature or find a way to calm her down and convince her that a different way might be better. <laughs> you do realize that everything you just got finished saying could very easily be describing Donna, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I do. <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> Donna, you know, while Donna has a, a relationship with the doctor, very similar to Sarah Jane, 
Her personality yeah. is almost <laughs> identical to that of Tegan Jovanka. <laughs> uh, and she is my favorite of the Doctor's two companions in this episode. Uh, the, the other companion he has uh, is Turlo. Uh, and Turlo has an interesting story, uh, being that he was originally assigned to the Doctor's TARDIS by the Black Guardian as a way to try and get back at the Doctor for what happened during the Key to Time trilogy and the Doctor defeating the Black Guardian back then. Side note, the Black Guardian had made a threat at the end of that whole situation when the Doctor had convinced Turlo to switch sides and they defeated the Black Guardian again. Uh, the Black Guardian said something to the effect of, Doctor, we shall meet again and it will be our final meeting. Something to that effect. We haven't gotten that yet. Mm-mm. So there's a character that could return in the new series. <laughs> the thing about Turlo is he's never been my favorite because he's just not memorable to me. I mean, I don't dislike him. I just never remember that he's a companion. It's funny that you said that because prior to watching this again, uh-huh. I, I had forgotten about him even being in it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I know that sounds bad, but... You know, the unfortunate thing is that his best performance and most memorable performance, at least to me, is in the storyline where he leaves at the end. Well, isn't that always the way? Right. (laughs) Uh, I have not seen uh, many of the episodes where the Black Guardian uh, actually has him infiltrate the Doctor's group. Uh, I think I've seen one of those episodes because he gets infiltrated and goes on several adventures before the Black Guardian really gets involved. And I haven't really seen those episodes yet, so I don't I don't know a lot of that whole story. I just know that that sort of stuff has happened. I think sometimes it's tricky when you're going to have a, a, a character leave the show because sometimes I've seen it go either way. I've seen it go to where, OK, the character is going to leave the show. Um, we're going to back off and kind of make that character more and more and more of a background character so that it's not as much of an impact when they leave. So it doesn't affect the overall story as much. And we can just kind of focus on everybody that's left. And then I've seen it go the other way where it's like, okay, this character is going to leave the show. So we really have to put the focus on this character. So it'll really matter to people when they leave. And sometimes when they do that, they can, they just telegraph the fact that they're going to take that character out of the show because you're sitting there looking at it. You're going, you know, they've had a really big role for the last three or four episodes. And then all of a sudden, Oh, they died. Right. Really? You know, <laughs> right. Not so, that Turlo died. He just no. left uh, to, re- you know, rejoin his people. But you um, get my point, you know, yes. I know <laughs> I, I, I do. I do. Sometimes uh, it seems like there's no middle ground for that stuff, you know. No, no, there isn't <laughs> a lot of times. Although the Doctor goes sort of companionless during this episode. Uh, he teams up with one of the other characters more than any of his companions during this episode, but we'll get to that later. It's interesting to me <clears throat> that you, you talked about the, the Doctor kind of goes companionless mm-hmm. in this because... This kind of goes back to what I was talking about on our last episode, where sometimes it seems like because they have the companions set up, 
if they want to tell a story that's just the doctor, they've kind of written themselves into a corner mm-hmm. a little bit because now they have to figure out, okay, how do we get rid of the companions just so that we can have a doctor only story, you know? Um, and they don't want to completely get rid of the companions because then they wouldn't have them for the next story that they want to tell. But it seems like that sometimes they, they have put themselves in a position where they have to figure out a way to make the companions go bye-bye just so that they can tell this one individual story about just the doctor. And sometimes I think they do a really, really good job with that. And sometimes I think that, they just kind of do a meh kind of job with that, you know, because there's there's certain ways that they execute it really, really well. And then there's other times that you sit there and you go, really? <laughs> and that's how you're going to get the doctor I, by himself? <laughs> that's, that's all you could come up with, you know? <laughs> you right. see what I'm saying? And, right. And, and so I think that that's one of the reasons why it's important that they have really good writers for shows like this is because they have to be able to come up with creative ways to do those kinds of things if they have to put themselves in a position to do those kinds of uh, setups. But let's go ahead and start delving into the details of, <laughs> of this story. We open up uh, in sort of a rundown area of a warehouse area off the, the Thames River in London. And there's a man standing along the street, minding his own business. And all of a sudden, he hears shouts and yelling and a group of very futuristic-looking people burst out of a warehouse and start running down the street. <laughs> Behind In them come... Weird-looking two... hats. <laughs> yes, weird-looking hats. Um, <laughs> Behind them come two policemen led by a character that we later find out is Commander Lytton uh, in, the, in an inspector's uniform. And they are let's just say using machine gun pistols yeah. uh, to mow down all of these people, including the random man who just happened to be there because they can't have any witnesses. It's like a scene from a 1980s Steven Seagal movie. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, this was in 1984. <laughs> Lytton uh, transports himself and the fallen bodies uh, away from the scene of the crime, leaving the two policemen to just, you know, clasp their hands behind their backs and walk on down the street. Okay, is it just me, or did the contrast of the outside city shots versus, like, the internal shots and stuff almost feel just a little bit jarring to you in this? It, it kind of felt weird to me, mm. you know? And I, I don't know why, because I've not felt that way with a lot of other episodes, but I kind of felt that way with this. How were they jarring? I mean, I don't know if it was just, you know, I don't know if it was the the just overall tone or, or you know, what it was. It, when this opened up and I saw these people running out in these really weird uniforms and stuff, it didn't, it didn't have quite as much of a natural feel to me as some of the other episodes that I watched where it just felt like I'm just watching a normal uh, episode on a normal street, you know, it felt a little odd to me, a little weird to me for some reason. I really can't put my finger on why. 
Hmm. I don't know if it was the way, I don't know if it was camera angles, if it was lighting, I don't know what it was. It just, something about it just didn't feel as natural to me as say, for example, the outside shots from the Tom Baker episodes that we just got finished watching, you know? Okay. And, and, and I don't know, it's just, maybe it, it's it, my it may personal. Be, it may be lighting because you know, it looks, it may be lighting because it looks like, uh, cause there's a lot of water on the, on the road. Right. Uh, it looks like it may have been raining or had just finished raining and they're trying to create light mm-hmm. for yeah. the shot. And a lot of the light that we see in there is artificial light trying to light up the scene, uh, enough so that, that might have been can... what it was. It just something about it just felt odd to me for some reason, and I really couldn't put my finger on what it was. Okay, yeah. that may have been it. Because uh... like, because it, you know, in some of the other episodes, even when they're doing sets, you know, the the transition of a natural outside shot transitioning into a set shot for you know like a, a ship or you know building or something. Mm-hmm didn't really feel that jarring to me, but for some reason it was like when they shifted from the outside shot to the, say like the inside of the warehouse and stuff to me, it was, it felt, it felt more noticeable to me for some reason. And I really don't know how to put my finger on that. You know, it's just something that, that I just noticed. Okay. And nobody, you know, it might just be me. Nobody else might even notice it. It might just be me. It was just, for some reason it, it was just something that, caught my attention you know all right interesting i may i may notice that next time um (laughs) because i called it out (laughs) yeah right (laughs) unfortunately Lytton and his two uh disguised policemen uh didn't get everybody yeah there's a pair of people that managed to escape uh galloway and quartermaster sergeant stein uh stein is a major player uh remember him uh, but Lytton, however, has been transported back to a battle cruiser via a time corridor. So there's a time corridor connecting the battle cruiser that he's on and this warehouse district on Earth, uh, this specific warehouse in particular. He's not particularly happy about the situation because it was bungled and they had to kill everyone out you know, in the open. Uh, but they move on and set course for their destination and uh, initiate battle positions and battle speed. We're like, oh, what is this? The Doctor, Tegan, and Turlo are having a heck of a time trying to land the TARDIS because it's being dragged down this time corridor and the TARDIS is trying to fight for control of itself but the time corridor is having other ideas this was straight out of classic Star Trek you know where they shake the camera and everybody's falling down and you know rolling around and trying to hold on to stuff and it was straight out of classic Star Trek you know we're going to shift the camera sideways you're going to have to pull to this direction and we're going to shift it the other way and you're going to have to pull that you know yep uh those kinds of old-fashioned camera tricks and stuff. Um, right. It wasn't, like, extremely noticeable that that was what they were doing. I just knew from, you know, looking at the way they filmed old shows. Uh, it, yeah, it, it was very nostalgic. <laughs> <laughs> the Doctor is able, through some complex uh, maneuvering, able to get outside of the time corridor, manages to fly parallel to it, and lands the TARDIS 
uh, at the end of the wharf outside of this warehouse on the Thames River in London. And of course, you know, the doctor has to find out what this time corridor is there for, and so he goes to investigate, dragging his companions along behind him. <laughs> we then get an interesting situation where we cut to a prison space station, which we learn is in relative disrepair. It's not a great place. It's falling apart. The captain doesn't really care too much about it. There's this new guy who's now officer of the watch or something like that. And he's like, well, we better clean this up. And the doctor on board says, eh, many people have said that before. Not going to happen. I am I'm looking at this and seeing the humor in this. You know, Even though it wasn't really played off in a way that was intentionally humorous, if they were doing this now in the modern series, I guarantee you that part of it with people just not caring and not doing their jobs to the best of their ability and stuff, I guarantee you it would be played in some type of humorous way, mm-hmm. you know, and then they would have had to pay for it in the end because they were just a bunch of idiots. Right. <laughs> And so when I was watching it this time, I didn't see it this way last time, but when I was watching it this time, that is kind of the way that I was viewing it. I was like, okay, you're an idiot, and you're an idiot, and you're an idiot, you know? (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) And it turns out that the prison space station is here and is housing only one prisoner, Davros. Hmm. And it turns out that is precisely the destination that Commander Lytton and his forces are heading for. It turns out Commander Lytton is working with the Daleks under the behest of the Supreme Dalek to launch a rescue attempt for Davros. They attack the space station, destroy the fighters, and prepare to dock and take over. Their initial boarding attempt is not met well. The couple of Daleks get blowed up, and they pull back. Lytton then says, well, let's use gas first, and then we'll launch our assault. So they do, and they start to take over. Did you notice, I know last uh, last episode you were talking about some of the acting. The extra acting. Yes. yes. Did you notice I... some of that in this episode? Yes. <laughs> There's one in particular. <laughs> Let me get to this. When okay. the Daleks are first breaching the space station, yeah, <laughs> there is an extra that sets a mine in, you know, right beyond the door. So when the Daleks go in, they can set it off. He's fine when he's setting the mine because he's just, you know, putting something on the floor. And then he goes and he runs and stands behind Styles behind this barricade that they've set up hurriedly. He is one of the first to get shot and die. His death is one of the most painful things to watch <laughs> from an actor's point of view. Yeah. He just goes, ah! and sort of slowly falls over yeah, backwards. I saw that, and I laughed. <laughs> and I'm sitting there pulling my face, going, oh my god. That's one of the uh, areas where I was talking about that could have really benefited from a special edition. Because had they done the layover of the skeletal, uh, Mm -hmm, illuminated mm -hmm. skeleton 
like they have in the modern series, yes. it would have covered that up and you would not have noticed the fact that he was overacting or whatever because all you would have gotten from him was the scream and then the transition would not have seemed as slow and painful to watch because it would have seemed like the reason why the transition was as long as it was is because he was held in the beam while he was being killed. Right. Um, and so, you know, that's one of the things I was talking about earlier when I said that certain places in this could use a special edition. Uh, did you notice too, though, talking about bad acting when they were about to be boarded and they mm -hmm. were talking about the fact that the defenses were crap. Yeah. They're, the one guy turns and it's very plain in your face overacted. He's like, we have absolutely no defenses. And he says it like he's some kind of angry android or something almost. You know, it's uh -uh. like, you know, he, he he's his head's like bobbing from side to side and stuff. And he's like all stiff, you know, and. He, he's just really overacting that, you know, he, it, it didn't feel natural at all. That, that was the guy that ended up getting <laughs> the infection and uh, being killed by his, by the, the girl, right? I think so. And he yeah. deserved it. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's like, uh, okay. Kill Thanks. him with disease. <laughs> <laughs> and the Daleks were, uh, she just hurried it along. <laughs> I just uh, what I, I thought that was that was one of those small things that kind of took me out of the episode because mm -hmm. you have all these other people doing a really great job acting and then you have this one guy who turns around and it's like blatantly in your face very overacted and very you know obvious that it's not natural you know right. <laughs> he he was more angry at the situation than concerned <laughs> like you should be yeah I'm like <laughs> this is this is bad you have no weapons you know, your defenses are down this is you should be like peeing your pants yeah, now you not be like scared <laughs> not you know channeling hitler um <laughs> we have absolutely no defenses yeah. <laughs> right right you're not chastising them you're concerned <laughs> Anyway, one of the officers has been given the order to eliminate the prisoner if the station is taken. Unfortunately, due to some of the station's faulty mechanical wiring and stuff, things are taking longer and they're having to try to find a way around some of the systems in order to fulfill that order. The interesting thing about this whole sequence is that this invasion sequence of the, of the prison spaceship is being intercut with the Doctor exploring the aftermath of what happened at the warehouse. Galloway has been killed by something, and Stein is the only one left. And, of course, the Doctor finds him and has to find out what's going on with the time corridor. Stein is traumatized, doesn't really feel like they should stick around, and before the Doctor can find the time corridor, they run into a uh, military bomb disposal squad who are there because builders that were going to turn these warehouses into flats found some things that they thought were bombs. Should we go ahead and point out what these things look like? Sure, go ahead. They look just like 
the weapon arm for the Daleks. Yes. <laughs> Only except... about 10 times bigger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And they're canisters of some sort. Yeah, they, they look like they're about the size of baseball bats in length, and they're probably, I don't know what, maybe eight, nine inches across? Something like that. Yeah. And they've got the, the spokes uh, running along the, the length of it, you know, like the Dalek weapon arm has. So yeah. we are led to believe they are of Dalek design. But nobody knows what they are. No, because they can't break into them. And the doctor convinces the bomb disposal group that they got to find this time corridor. So they go looking for it. They also run into a Dalek who's been standing guard at the time corridor. He appears just as they approach. And uh, yes, that's where the episode ends in classic yeah. Doctor Who fashion. <laughs> mm-hmm. I should probably mention that Turlow has disappeared at this point. Before they really get too heavily involved with the bomb disposal squad, he's vanished. He's found the time corridor when they all split up and ended up being sucked through it without being able to tell anybody what happened. (laughs) So he is on the Dalek battleship. In the scuffle that ensues with the Dalek, Tegan gets a nasty bump on the head, gets knocked out before the doctor and the rest of the disposal squad can shove the Dalek out the second floor window, sending it crashing to a fiery explosion on the pavement outside. You know what I thought was a lost opportunity on this? What? Especially considering the uniforms that these guys were wearing. They could have... Unit? Yeah, they could have very easily been part of unit because Mm -hmm. they, they had almost identical uniforms to the classic unit uniforms. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been a really nice little callback. You know, you don't have to have the brigadier in there or whatever, but you can just have unit, you know, just right. somebody from unit. I think that that was a, a little bit of a missed opportunity for me. I agree. The way things are going on the prison ship, we have a couple of groups of guards that are remaining. We've got the main group, which will follow for most of the story that consists of the new officer of the watch, which I forget his name. Uh, we have the female doctor who's, you know, the cynic of the group, but seems to be pretty handy with a gun, uh, <laughs> along with two others that are basically extras along for the ride. There's also one of the communications officers who it was her job to go kill Davros when they were invaded and one other lieutenant who was on the bridge with her she's at the cell where davros has been cryogenically frozen and she's trying to get the system to work so that they can destroy davros (laughs) the unfortunate thing is the officer that she's with got a little bit exposed to some of the poison gas that had been pumped into the uh the breach area of the space station and is uh, mutating and has the uh, he's turning horrible she keeps asking about the smell and turns around to see him his face half decaying his face is like half decayed he's lost a finger and his hands are starting to uh, become disfigured and decayed as well and he turns towards her saying help me and he's coming towards her and she's freaking out about that 
She's managed to <laughs> arm the explosives for Davros's cell, but hasn't gotten it working yet to actually blow it up. So she's freaking out. She's backing away from her former compatriot, shoots him. And before <laughs> she can recover from that and set the explosives to go off, Lytton and his men march into the prison cell area and kill her. That that scene that you just described, um, it actually kind of reminds me of uh, one of the scenes from the original RoboCop movie. Uh, of course, the RoboCop movie is going to be a lot more graphic and a lot more violent. Mm-hmm. But there's this guy that got doused with toxic waste, kind of, you know. Uh-huh. And he's he's melting. Ooh. And he runs up to one of his so-called friends and he's like help me help me and the other guy's like get away from me man and he runs Uh, away you know (laughs) yeah that almost you know the same type of scenario exactly you know and uh the resolution of that wasn't quite as uh neat as the resolution of this (laughs) yeah but yeah, it's it, it. That's what it reminded me of. You know, what's really unfortunate about this whole setup is the fact that the reason why this space station was in the condition that it was in to start with is because pretty much everybody that was on it stopped caring. Yeah, you know, it was like I'm only here as long as I have to be here, and then I want to move on and do something else. So I'm going to do the bare minimum of what has to be done in order to get through this so I can go somewhere else and do something else. And Uh so maintenance was that way. You know, the, the medical facility was that way. It was like everything was running at bare minimum, you know, and the new guy comes in and points all that stuff out at the beginning of this thing. And you're sitting here and you're looking at it and you're going, that's the only guy in the entire station who cares about yeah. anything that's going on here? I found his name. <laughs> I found his name. His name is Styles. Yeah. Uh, and he's the only guy that cares, and he's pointing it out to everybody, everything that they're doing wrong. And when he does that, everybody hates him. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's their fault that this happened in the first place because their defense system was crap. Their maintenance was crap. Everything was crap, you know, because nobody cared. So they had no defense system. They had no working facilities to be able to kill Davros because it wouldn't work because nobody Mm. cared to make sure that it was going to stay working, you know. So everything in this scenario is because the people just didn't care. (laughs) <laughs> there's a couple you know? there's a couple of scenes in the first uh part of this where people have to <laughs> after punching in the code to open a door have to kick the door in order for it to open yeah! <laughs> including davros's cell i might add that's just um, jacked up man i'm it telling you <laughs> it is and uh the doctor's name who, whose name is mercer uh dr mercer <laughs> she doesn't want to rock the boat because she needs a good word from the captain, who's the one who right. really doesn't care. Yeah. Um, but we don't see him because he dies in the first salvo uh, with a bunch of the other crew off screen. Um, <laughs> she needs a good word from the captain in order to get her, her promotion when her tour is over in eight weeks. Yeah. 
And so she doesn't want to rock the boat. And so she's cynical and doesn't care. And she and Styles and two guards are the only ones by the end of this that are really left alive of the original crew. And they're sneaking around and manage to kill a squad of Lytton's men in order to take their uniforms and disguise themselves. Uh, Styles, Mercer, and the two guards that are now disguised themselves plan to blow up the station with the self-destruct system. But they have to get there first. Meanwhile, Lytton and his men have unfrozen Davros. And we learn from Davros himself that he has been in that state of suspended animation in the cryogenic freezing chamber for 90 years of mind-numbing boredom. Seems like he'd be really hungry after 90 years. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe even have to really pee really bad. You know? <laughs> oh, I forgot. He doesn't have the lower half of his body. Right. <laughs> I feel I feel like he's not someone who uh, needs to eat very much either. He's gotten rid of that inconvenience. Um, he has paste that he feeds through a tube. <laughs> exactly. Uh, unfortunately, uh, his traveling chair is not working properly because of 90 years in a cryogenic freezing chamber that probably has malfunctioned from time to time. And so he needs to have a mechanic come and take a look at this. I think the cryo chamber would be a bigger thing than, than uh, the time because you got to remember he did spend lots of years, uh, like pro what, a thousand years in suspended animation before, and it still worked. That is true. So, yeah, I think it would be more of the freezing chamber than anything else that's true uh but he refuses to leave the space station and go onto the dalek battleship this is our first inkling of davros having something up his sleeve we learn that the daleks have rescued davros because they have lost the war with the movellans because mm -hmm. the movellans developed a virus that only attacks daleks and they don't have a cure and the Movellans don't even have to worry about it because they're 100% robot anyway. Right. The Daleks have biology in them where the Movellans don't have that weakness. Exactly. And so the Movellans have won the war between the Daleks and the Movellans, and the Daleks are trying to reform and reestablish themselves as a power in the universe by having Davros find them a cure for this virus so they can re-enter the universe at large. You know, it would really be nice, in my opinion, not everybody wants to see this, but I would like to see this. I think it would be really nice if we got to see some type of a future episode in a future season where the doctor of the future ended up at some point in between uh, the time frame of uh, the time where Davros was frozen and the time where Davros was defrosted uh, just so we could see kind of a little bit of the time frame of the the uh, the Dalek Movellan war as it was starting to come to an end and everything because there's a really big gap there that we don't ever get any real visuals of we just get a, a very brief story and I think that'd be really fun to see something like that you know not necessarily be uh, a story that's really bearing to those events per se but maybe those events could be kind of the backdrop of the story that's being told you know i think that could be kind of fun 
That would be interesting. Lytton is insistent that Davros be moved to the Dalek battleship because he's concerned uh, that a patrol or uh, a task force will be sent to investigate what's going on. And Davros is, is very firm in his refusal to leave the prison ship. He wants to work on the virus on the prison ship in order to prevent a breakout on board the Dalek battleship. And he cannot be moved too far from his cryogenic chamber in case something goes wrong and he needs to be refrozen. He wants to stay off of the Dalek cruiser because he wants to distance himself as much as possible from the Daleks. Yes, that is true. And we start to get the sense that Davros has his own agenda at work Mm -hmm. when he uh, subtly uh, uses a little device that pops out of his chair to mind control the mechanic that is working on his chair. See, this was something that I felt like was maybe something that actually took place in our last episode that we reviewed that we didn't actually get to see on screen because, you know, there was a period of time between the time when the Daleks left Davros with those bombs and the time when the doctor showed up to talk to Davros again, where Davros was all alone just in that lab. And that would have been a perfect time for him to say, okay, I'm going to create this little device so that when the Daleks come back, I will have a way to ensure that I have control over them in the future. Mm. And then he just didn't get a chance to use it. That would explain exactly where it came from, you know, because that would really and truly have been the only time that he would have been able to have built that because he's been frozen for 90 years. It's not like he could have devised this uh, while he was frozen. Right. So I I think when you think about it in those terms, I think that's kind of neat how you can see those little subtle things that you maybe didn't pick up on the first time that you, you know, you you realize as you, you progress through these episodes. The doctor and the bomb disposal squad have brought the remains of the wreck Dalek back inside so they don't attract attention. And they're trying to figure out what to do next, trying to figure out, you know, how they should get to the other end of the, the time corridor because uh, the Daleks have closed it off on this side. And the Doctor is getting <laughs> ready to go back to the TARDIS when one of the guards gets attacked by a Khaled mutant. This Khaled mutant wasn't dead. It's the Dalek. <laughs> yeah. It's a green blob. <laughs> it's a green blob. And it has leapt apparently from its place of hiding onto this guy's neck and is trying to strangle and bite I think uh, it's neat, too, uh, that we see this. Uh, it's actually larger than the ones that we saw before. Uh, mm-hmm. So we know that uh, they have changed a little bit over time already. And they are a little bit more recognizable from as from the ones that we get during the modern series now. Uh, it's this blob with several tentacles. Yeah, but there's, there's a change that happens in between that, too. So Yes. <laughs> Probably yeah, more but, than one. Well, but we're, but we're getting closer. Yeah. yeah, we're getting closer to that design. Uh, well, we know that there are at least, I think, two changes that happen to them between now and the modern series. Uh, but we'll get into that. So exactly. 
But then before the Doctor and the rest of the squad can come and find the Dalek mutant, it disappears. So before they can move on, there is a hunt for the mutant. Um, mm -hmm. They almost kill a cat by accident because it's sneaking around uh, before it jumps up and attacks the guard <laughs> again. <laughs> He's got a vendetta against this guy, yeah. apparently. But they manage to rip it off. Uh, the doctor manages to grab a blanket, rip it off the man, you know, fold it up in the blanket, and then he and one of the other guys shoot the thing to death. Yes, the doctor has a gun. Yeah, that that was very undoctor-like to me uh, because, well, once again, it goes back to the exact same thing we talked about with the third doctor in Day of the Daleks. We don't ever get used to seeing the doctor shoot someone dead. And he's done it multiple times in the years that we've seen this, but we never get used to seeing it. It's always against character. Yeah. So finally the mutant's dead, and the doctor hands his gun back off to the <laughs> the guy he took it from and decides that he is going to go, he and Stein are going to go off in the TARDIS and travel to the other end of the time corridor. So they take off. One of the, uh, I should say the leader of this squad has gone to try and get help for Tegan and get reinforcements because the doctor knows what is likely going to happen. He unfortunately ends up at a phone booth with a phone that's disconnected and goes to try and borrow a radio from a pair of police officers. Yeah. Now, I'm going to say this. I think that this could have been perfect had the music not given it away. Mm. Because what happened for me is as soon as he picks that receiver up and sees that cord is cut, you hear the music be like, dum, 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 kind of, you know, not exactly, mm -hmm. but the same kind of thing, you know. And then when he walks up to the police officers, uh, which you never really got a really good look at the first time around, so they could easily be mistaken for someone else, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, he walks up to them, and the music gives it away again. It's like, oh, we already know these are the guys that are going to kill everyone, you know. Right. <laughs> and so had they played it down a little bit more, I think that it would have been even more uh, compelling in the way that the story was told at that point. Well, it cuts away before we really find out what happens. The TARDIS has materialized on the Dalek ship, and they narrowly avoid being captured. The Doctor says that they need to find Turlo, make a swift exit, and they grab a couple weapons, uh, and Stein essentially arrests the Doctor, because he's a double agent working for the Daleks. Dum dum dum! <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, the neat thing about this for me was it was played very well because you had absolutely I didn't see that one coming. Yeah, absolutely no indication that that was going to happen because when he when he says that and and the only criticism I think I would have of this is the fact that he just flat out plainly says, "Oh, I forgot to tell you, I am a Dalek agent." He didn't necessarily have to be that brazen with 
you know, with the the uh, explanation, mm-hmm. it could have very easily have been done just very subtly by him pulling the gun on the doctor and saying, okay, come on with me, you know. But, yeah, it was... I did not see that coming the first time I watched this. It was literally a shock for me, especially the way that his character was played. Right, because... Stein has been, you know, a nervous, yeah. stuttering character the entire time. He doesn't want to get involved with danger. He stutters all the time. Yeah. And then when he takes the gun and basically arrests the doctor, suddenly his stutter is gone. He's standing up straighter. Yeah. It was literally like almost like multiple personalities. It was that staunch of a difference. The Daleks are livid with the doctor of course because of who he is and are about to exterminate him right there on the spot when Lytton comes in and says don't kill him the supreme dalek sorry order the doctor to be copied (laughs) that was a direct callback to the first doctor direct callback to the first doctor yep uh the only difference being that this copy would be a genetic copy a biological copy where the other copy was a robotic copy exactly of course that being done in the storyline the chase exactly uh, go back and listen to that if you're curious because um, that one's fun that one's really it fun. is it is fun <laughs> turlo after exploring much of the dalek ship and being allowed to explore by the supreme dalek because he's being used as bait has transferred over from the Dalek battleship to the prison space station and runs, of course, into our gang of heroes, if you can call them heroes, from (laughs) the prison ship. It's a motley crew. Right, it is a motley crew. (laughs) Uh, Styles almost kills him on the spot, but gets talked out of it by Dr. Mercer and... Uh, They, you know, essentially wrangle him into their cause of going to blow up the space station with the self-destruct device. (laughs) He's like, I I just want to get out of here, you know, essentially. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Which is true to Turlo's character. He he doesn't like conflict. Well, I, I like the fact that he points out, you know, look. Just because you can blow this place up, does that mean you have to blow yourselves up with it? You know? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> oh. Exactly. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm thinking back to the new the new guy. Uh, I can't remember his name. What was his name? Oh, Styles. Yeah. yeah. I'm thinking about I'm thinking back to Styles and I'm thinking about his character and, and he's going, This is a really really bad first day at work you know (laughs) (laughs) well third day we do mention he it is mentioned that he's only been on station three days so okay Um, well i didn't catch that part i was thinking it was his first day but it's still a really bad day at work it is (laughs) a horrible day at work everybody's dead but four people you know right So the doctor has been taken to the duplicating chamber where he will be duplicated in order to send the doctor and his companions, who they have already duplicated somehow, 
to Gallifrey to assassinate the High Council of Time Lords. The, the Daleks are shooting for something big this time. And uh, they apparently have already duplicated many people on Earth as well uh, and um, plan to use them at some point in the future. Well, see, now, when this came up, in my mind, based on what we've been getting in the series and everything, the first thing that popped into my head was, oh, that's the beginning of moving into the time war. You know, because that is when the first aggression between the actual Time Lords and the Daleks began was with that moment. Right. Okay. Um. So I've been mistaken this entire time. What? Because I didn't really care about the names to begin with. <laughs> Styles is the doctor. It's Dr. Styles and Lieutenant Mercer, not... Lieutenant Stiles and Dr. Mercer. I just figured that out. They're part of the story, but their role is sort of run of the mill yeah. for what they do, and they're not necessarily overly memorable. The only one of that group that I thought had any real bearing on the story was Mercer. Lieutenant Mercer? Yeah. yeah. And I think that that was kind of um, telegraphed a little at the beginning of the story because of him being the only person on the whole station that cared. You know? Right. That is true. <laughs> Turlo has convinced Mercer to cross over to the Dalek battleship because he wants to show him, give him proof that this time corridor exists and they can set the station to explode and escape alive. So while Turlo and Mercer do that, uh, Dr. Stiles and the other two continue on to the self-destruct chamber where she tries to figure out how to activate it. And unfortunately, she doesn't have the code clearance to get the instructions on how to work it, so she has to figure it out by herself on the fly. Because now everybody cares. Right. <laughs> 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 Unfortunately, back on Earth, much of the bomb disposal squad, it is revealed, uh, have been converted to duplicates working for the Daleks. Uh, yeah, that that apparently happened uh, right about the time when he walked up on those two police officers. Uh-huh. <laughs> he was converted. And then got the other soldiers yeah. away, and they were converted, yeah. uh, leaving, of course, the one, you know, the scientific advisor, basically, of the group, uh, Professor Laird, who's a woman who's been taking care of Tegan the whole time. Uh, yes. Tegan's been unconscious almost through the entire story at this point. Yeah, unconscious and or recovering from her concussion. Yeah. She's apparently had a concussion. And they start noticing something is off and wrong. Yeah, this is it's, right back to the the tail uh, the uh, the body snatchers. You know, I uh, yeah, it takes me right back to that movie again because uh, I brought this up on another episode uh, before. It, it when anytime you see a character that gets replaced by 
an evil doppelganger, in my opinion, it's always creepy. It doesn't really matter if it's intended to be played creepy or not. It just comes off as creepy to me. Um, and so even when you have an episode like this that's not intentionally creepy, when you put those things in it, those things come off as creepy to me. <laughs> uh, well, it is creepy, though, because the ambulance that's supposed to come for Tegan mm-hmm. still hasn't arrived. And the commander of this group gave the doctor his gun before he left to go phone for the ambulance and the reinforcements. And he's come back with a gun belt on, which is what Tegan really notices first. Yeah, especially because it was very, very plain and obvious when he took it off and gave it to the doctor. It wasn't just one of those passing things. It was you saw the doctor's face when he handed it to him and you could see in the doctor's face like, what do you expect me to do with this? You know, exactly. And so it was very played up when that transfer happened between the two of them. And so when you see that being reversed, it raises a red flag. Exactly. Tegan and uh, Professor Laird stage an escape uh, to try and go get help. Laird gets herself shot and killed in the process, unfortunately. I liked her character. I wish that hadn't happened. I know. Me too. She was she was one of the more likable characters on the yeah. show, and unfortunately, she did, didn't survive. She kind of had an Osgood vibe. She you know? does. <laughs> she does. That's exactly it. Uh, she sort of looks like her, too. Uh, um, I don't think that was intentional when they cast Osgood, but... No. Um, yeah, there is a very distinct similarity there. And I honestly, the first uh, time or two that I watched this, I did not even think of that but this time when i went back and watched it i was like i can see a very distinct similarity and i think that's the difference in casually watching doctor who and submersing yourself in the mythos and and everything of doctor who is you start being able to see parallels and stuff that you weren't able to see before you know right and i'm glad you brought that up because that's so cool (laughs) now ah i can see it i can totally see it Tegan, of course, runs to where the TARDIS should have been. She doesn't doesn't realize the Doctor has taken the TARDIS to go back. So she runs to where the TARDIS should have been. And sees, of course, it's not there. And as she's heading back, uh, sees a pair of police officers. She's going to go ask them for help, but notices one of them is uh, brandishing a gun. Hmm. And goes, well, this is not good. <laughs> and starts to run off down the wharf. She sees someone, a gentleman who's using a metal detector along the beach trying to find some stuff, tries to get his attention for help, and is unfortunately recaptured because the policeman shoots the man. Yeah. And she screams. Yes. Tegan is good at screaming. And Um, for me, this was kind of the turning point where she started to come to the conclusions that she ends up with at the end of the episode. Yeah. Um, that and, and Professor Laird's death. Yeah. I, th- I think that this was kind of uh, what made that final decision for her. Also on the prison ship, Dr. Stiles and the two station guards have gotten the self-destruct sequence working. 
and they're on the verge of getting it set and armed when Lytton and his men burst in and kill them all. So we're getting this point in the story where everything is going south. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Doctor is on the duplicating table with his mind being duplicated. The Daleks have left. They don't care to see this to, through to completion. They have their duplicate, Stein, yeah. working for him. Because he's a duplicate too. Unfortunately for the Daleks, his conditioning isn't stable. Because Stein is being overcome by confusion. Because he's starting yeah. to remember things from the original Stein's life. And it's starting to set off all these things in his mind. And right. He, and he can't cope with it. And the doctor keeps pushing at that and prodding that while the mind-duplicating process is continuing. And at the end of it, Stein is able to break his conditioning and stops the process, freeing the doctor. Okay, I'm going to go out on a limb here okay, and say that this is the point where the Daleks got a lot of their information about the Doctor because we do know that they have time travel and we do know that they have traveled back in time on multiple occasions. And if they receive this information about the Doctor from his mind at this point, it could have effects on things that happened previously because they have this information about the Doctor that they didn't have before. And I I don't think that they necessarily had this information when they uh, scanned the Doctor's mind in Day of the Doctor, but I think that they may have had this information at other points in order to be able to automatically recognize this is the Doctor. Okay. If hmm. if that makes sense. Because if you look at it from the wibbly-wobbly-timey-wimey perspective, these types of things were sort of like Davros getting the information from the Doctor about the Daleks' defeats. You know, had he been able to keep that information and not be put into suspended animation, he could have used that information to have changed everything that happened. You know, and this is sort of the same thing. It's like, okay, we're going to take this bit of information that we have about the Doctor and we're going to use that to be able to identify who he is and everything, you know, because we're going to share that amongst all the different Daleks and stuff. And that way we will know who his companions have been, what his former faces look like, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, so that when we run into him, we will already know that it's him, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. I think that that is not something that they're going to just make blatantly obvious, but I think that that is something that these types of scenes lend themselves to. That is a possibility. It leaves it open for thought and consideration, that's for sure. Yeah, that's the way my brain works. Uh, you know, I literally just process things like that all the time. When, <laughs> when I'm watching these shows and stuff, I'm... I'm watching the show and my brain is processing these different events and stuff in these shows and putting all of these different little pieces together and pulling a string from this point to this point and that point to that point and saying, okay, this relates over here and this relates over to there. And, you know, (laughs) before it's all said and done, you know, I've gone through, I don't know, 12 different seasons and put together, you know, 50 different points between 12 different seasons that relate to one another in some way, you know? 
<laughs> I can't help it. It's just the way I'm built. <laughs> That's why we have you on the show. Uh, <laughs> Tegan has been sent to the Dalek spaceship uh, via the time corridor and runs into Turlo and uh, Lieutenant Mercer. She says the doctor is already there, so they all set out in search of the doctor. They find him and Stein uh, as Stein is freeing uh, the doctor from the uh, duplication machines. Yeah. And they all head to confront Davros. This is the point in the story where, uh, between the point really where the doctor escapes and the point where the doctor confronts Davros, Davros is talking to the people in the room with him, and he specifically says that he has to first rid himself of a meddling Time Lord, and then he can pursue his his final plan. And this was the point where, in the past, I had looked at this, and, and I had said, okay, we have a plot hole here. Because there had been no direct reference prior to this in the other episodes that we've talked about to the doctor actually being a time Lord in front of Davros. So, and then he also references the fact that the TARDIS is there and he wants to take control of the TARDIS. And so there's also never been a point in the past where Davros had any direct contact with the TARDIS or had seen the TARDIS at any point in the past. I see where you're going with this. So I'm looking at this and I'm going, okay, we have a plot hole here that just doesn't make sense because this was never explained as to how Davros would have this information. Watching I it, see what you're doing Watching now. it this time, after seeing season nine of the new series, I'm looking at this and going, okay, that plot hole has been fixed. Yes. <laughs> Davros is starting to put the Doctor's pieces together. Yes. Uh, and and also, when I came to this realization uh, this week uh, while I was watching these, that also makes my comment last episode that I made about, I don't know if Davros even knows that the Doctor has the ability to regenerate a null and void statement because he has that information based on season nine uh, of the new series mm-hmm. because he yeah. knows what the Doctor is. There you go. <laughs> Plot hole solved. Yeah, I, I I think that those forty years things, later, but well, know. I think those kinds of things uh, really make this show juicy. You know, if you think about it, mm-hmm. because you know it. It it fixes its own plot holes by creating new story elements in the future that fixes things that happened in the past, you know, and (laughs) you don't see really any other show that has the ability to do that. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Davros, meanwhile, has been building his little army. He has been using the mechanic to help him, you know, attract more people, like a chemist, uh, another soldier, uh, and two Daleks, even, yeah, into the room, and uh, been using that little mind-control device on all of them. He gets the so Daleks he... in there by saying, I need to have a Dalek to see you to be yes. able to do my experiments. You know, yes. he, I love the way he says that, to see you. <laughs> to see you. <laughs> I must have 
Dalek, tiss you. Yeah. Tiss you. He almost adds, it's like a, instead of tiss, tissue, you know, like two syllables, it's yeah. almost like two and a half syllables Yeah, it's, now. it's almost a third syllable the way he pronounces it. I it love the way he says it, though. It's just so, you know, characteristic of Davros that he would yes. talk like that. Before the doctor heads off on his final objective here, they stop by the TARDIS. He leaves Turlo and Tegan on the TARDIS, and he's going to take uh, Lieutenant Mercer and Stein with him, and he tells them that he's going to go kill Davros. He had his chance before to stop the Daleks, and he chose wrong. Now he's going to go rectify that decision. And <laughs> Tegan says, but you're coming back, right? And the doctor doesn't answer. Yeah. And just walks out the door. And if you think about it, this would have been an ideal time for them to do a regeneration story if they wanted to. They could have. Yeah. But then they'd have to... Never mind. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say that because <laughs> that, that'll reveal what happens at the end of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about some changes to the show. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor says, well, if I don't come back, the TARDIS will take you back to London. Well, he leaves, and of course the TARDIS, you know, shortly thereafter takes off. He's set the timer on it, and he's, you know, gotten Tegan and Turlow out of there mm -hmm. already. And they're sent back to London, you know, at the other end of the time corridor. He and Stein and Lieutenant Mercer, who both of them are, of course, in Dalek soldier uniforms, go to Davros's lab. They're in, pretending to impersonate guards who have captured the Doctor for Davros. And the Doctor and Davros have this little scene together. He tells the Doctor that once the, Dalek, the Doctor's been exterminated, he's going to create a new race of Daleks that will be even more deadly, and they will again become the supreme beings of the universe. Mm -hmm. And Davros is more, you know... This is more of like, oh, it's so lovely to see you because now I get to kill you, you know, type yeah. of discussion with the doctor. He, he doesn't want to, you know, philosophize anymore. He's done doing that with the doctor. And the doctor, of course, realizes, well, I have to go through this time. I'd hoped you changed, Davros. I am not here as your prisoner, but as your executioner. Yeah. And he takes the gun from Lieutenant Mercer and he holds it basically to Davros's head. What did you think of this scene? Yeah. Um, this, to me, felt a lot like Christopher Eccleston's scene in Dalek, mm -hmm. which we'll talk about soon. But there was a very distinct parallel there. Yeah. The difference being that he's not yet been pushed to that point to where he absolutely loses it. But I thought that this, knowing what we know uh, from the the revival series, um, I, I think this was a very good foreshadowing of things to come. You know. Yeah. Yeah. No. It, it's, and we really get to see the way that encountering Davros has really hardened the Doctor mm -hmm. on who Davros and the Daleks are. Obviously, with Genesis of, the, Genesis of the Daleks, he really gets to see firsthand what all, all that's about. His second interaction with Davros, he's still not ready to just completely wipe Davros and the Daleks out, but he gets a little bit more angry about the situation. Yeah. This time he's like, okay, 
I missed my chance before. I'm not making that mistake again. It's time to put an end to this. It's interesting because the sixth Doctor is known for being bombastic and a bit more right. rough and angry. And you would think this would that would be something that he would do. Not the fifth Doctor, who's a kind right. Doctor. And this, so this is very, you know, if you know who Peter Davison's fifth Doctor is, he's a very kind, thoughtful, mm-hmm. more intellectual type of Doctor. And so seeing the Doctor at this point, you know there's a lot going on. Well, it, it almost felt like a shift from the personality, like we talked about before, that was very similar to the first Doctor, to mm-hmm. seeing the angry portion of the Doctor's personality come out, say, from the third Doctor, you know? Right. Um, because the third Doctor didn't have as many qualms about shooting people as the first and second and fourth would have, right. you know? And so I do think that even though there are very distinct personality changes when he regenerates, there are still some of those traits, trace personality traits that are still left behind that come to the surface when certain key uh, situations come up. And and that's how that felt to me. It was like, oh, he just turned into John Pertwee. Uh, And you you see that with episodes like... uh, uh, planet of the spiders and stuff yeah but uh, unfortunately the doctor is not able to act on his mission for a couple of reasons one his conscience is fighting really hard to take over and he starts having this dilemma he's got his finger on the trigger basically and he's about ready to pull it and he's at that point of no return that he was reached that he reached back in genesis of the daleks and he can't do it of course, as you don't have the courage to do it. Second, Lytton and his soldiers have realized what's going on, and they're on their way. Mm-hmm. Some of Lytton's men uh, are on the way. So Stein and Lieutenant Mercer are out in the hallway keeping watch. Lieutenant Mercer notices a couple of Lytton's men coming around the corner. He warns Stein, and Stein goes, oh, don't worry, they're with us. That's his conditioning snapping back in. Mm-hmm. Mercer gets killed by Lytton's men before Stein can snap out of it, and then Stein has to end up killing these two. The doctor hears the commotion during his uh, interactions with Davros about his lack of courage to do what must be done, and bolts outside to check on what's going on. As he's checking on Stein, Davros closes and locks the door behind him. As is always the way. Exactly. (laughs) Davros, um, I forgot to mention, has retrieved one of the canisters from Earth via the time corridor. And these canisters contain the Movellan virus. Samples of it anyways. Uh, He sent sent his two Daleks after it, right? No, he sends his two Daleks back to get the rest of it. Yeah. I believe. You're right. And to eliminate anyone else who's there. They have gone back... And have secured the area by killing the duplicate bomb squad. Mm -hmm. A little bit of overacting with the commander when he dies, um, I will mention. (laughs) But nothing too dramatic to speak of. Stein runs off into the station, refusing to allow the doctor to stay with him because he's concerned about his uh, conditioning coming back. He's he's afraid that he's going to snap. Exactly. 
So now the Doctor has to get back onto the Dalek spaceship in order to get to the Time Corridor to reunite with his companions at the other end, (laughs) back on London. The Daleks have finally wised up to what Davros is doing. They send Lytton and some of his men down to take care of Davros' Daleks, and then send a task force after them to deal with Lytton and his men. (laughs) They also send a couple of Daleks into Davros' lab in order to deal with Davros. Right. Davros has been waiting for them. And, of course, unleashes some of the Movellan virus upon the Daleks there uh, in order to eliminate them. Although that was not the smartest thing he could have done because he's part Dalek, too. And uh, his chair, of course, starts sputtering and sparking the way that all the Daleks have been doing. He's not fully genetic Dalek. But he's right. He's the tissue that the, the Daleks are based the tissue that the Daleks yes. are based off of. So you know he he doesn't even think about the fact that it could have bearing on him. Right, but unfortunately it does. It's not killing him per se, but it's not uh, you know a nice feather pillow either. You could tell it I, hurts. He, it hurts <laughs> like the Dickens. Uh, but he's not going to be killed by it probably of course all of this comes back to bear back at the warehouse in london uh the daleks that davros's daleks almost completely wipe out Lytton's men uh Lytton fakes death mm-hmm. in order to you know survive yeah uh and then of course the supreme daleks forces arrive and a heated battle takes place the Doctor arrives to find that Turlo and Tegan have captured one of the Movellan virus canisters. Uh, he manages to activate it into basically aerosol spray mode and sets that behind all the Daleks uh, as they are, you know, still in battle. Right. And of course, they start spluttering and spitting and, you know, dying because that's the only thing the virus attacks is Daleks. Uh, Lytton then takes off in the confusion, disguises himself back in his inspector's uniform, and calmly walks off down the street with his two policemen. And we don't ever see him again. No, we do. He comes back next season with the Sixth Doctor and the Cyberman. No, I'm talking about in our Dalek episodes. We we don't ever see him again in our Dalek episodes. Right. No, he, he doesn't come back in this episode. He he survives. He's an interesting character because this is a character that spans a couple of storylines. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like that because uh, he's an interesting enough character. He's sort of a mercenary commander for hire, um, yeah. as, we'll, as we'll continue to learn. But he, he leaves. And um, back on the, the space station, Stein finds his, himself at the self-destruct room. And before he, you know, as he is finishing setting up the self-destruct sequence, a couple of Daleks come in and try to exterminate him. (laughs) And this is where the previous line comes in, where the Daleks come in the door and he says, Hello, boys, just in time for the fun. And as he is dying, he manages to jump onto the control panel, therefore activating the switch. And that's when he explodes everything. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) 
back at the warehouse, there's death and carnage everywhere. And the doctor, of course, is looking at it sadly and disapprovingly and says to his companions, all right, let's go. This is where Tegan says no. This is this has been one bloodbath too many for her. And the kill count in this storyline is high. Oh, yeah. The, the amount of dead bodies that are left all over the place in this storyline is very that's high. that's just the ones that are on screen. That's not even talking about all the ones that were off screen. Right. Because the initial attack on the station literally killed off over half of the personnel in this thing. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And Tegan says that she's done. The Traveling with the doctor is not fun anymore. Yeah. Because they keep having these sort of situations and they keep having people that they know, people that they, you know, ally with or become friends with die. And she says, I can't, I can't do this. And she runs off. She says a quick goodbye and then runs off before the doctor can change her mind. The doctor can't fault her for leaving. Right. As he and Turlow make their way back to the TARDIS, he says something to the effect that he left Gallifrey for much the same reason. He had gotten tired of... The, the the normal life that they'd been living. And so he needs to try and mend his ways now. He makes that comment that he needs to mend his ways. They return to the TARDIS, take off. Tegan runs back to see the TARDIS dematerialize and uh, gives a line that the Doctor says to her quite often. Mm-hmm. You know, when she's flustered or frustrated or afraid, he says, Braveheart, Tegan. She repeats that, says, Braveheart, Tegan, and then says, Doctor, I will miss you. And that's where the episode ends. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's interesting to watch this, especially knowing that the this is coming up to the end of Peter Davison's run, um, mm-hmm. because the way that they treat the, the last few episodes of Peter Davison is sort of the same way that they treat the last few episodes of David Tennant. It's mm. he starts to have these these uh, crisis of conscience in certain situations, right. and he starts thinking, maybe I'm not as good of a man as I thought I was. Right, and then that sort of leads up into his regeneration, and then he's a completely different person. Right. Um, and I think that's kind of interesting, considering that David Tennant said that Peter Davison was his doctor. Right. So that makes me wonder if maybe David Tennant had a little bit of say in how they treated the final few episodes of his doctor, so that it would sort of mimic his doctor from his childhood. It's possible. Uh, that's very possible. I think that's cool. Um, the, the interesting thing is this season is six story arcs long there are six stories that happen in this season uh for the fifth doctor there's seven story arcs total the final story arc being the first one with the sixth doctor they don't wait till the end of the season per se they you know just before the end of the season to regenerate them uh this is the the fourth of the sixth of the fifth doctor's six story arcs this season Mm -hmm. tegan leaves in this one in the fifth one is when Turlow leaves and Perry joins the TARDIS. And then the final one is, of course, the Caves of Androzani with just 
the Fifth Doctor and Perry. Yeah. But you and sort so, of get the feeling, though, that the Doctor and Perry have been traveling together a little longer than you see on screen at this point because their interactions, once you get to Caves of Androzani, are a lot more uh, uh, familiar than, than they would be if it was just a short period of time. Right. And so I was going to say, if you had a, res- a regeneration story with this... Mm-hmm. Um, what I was going to say earlier is that you'd have, you would have had to have Tegan stay. Yeah. You couldn't have her leave at the end of this uh, because she would have, you know, everything that had happened, she would have been overridden by her need to, uh, you know, help see the doctor through another regeneration right. because she joined the TARDIS during the fourth doctor's last story mm-hmm. and she saw regeneration. Yeah. And so, uh, you couldn't have had her story ending and the doctor regenerate like this without her deciding to stick around again. But it is interesting. <laughs> she almost she almost saw a, a second regeneration. Yeah. Imagine though if it had been her in Caves of Androzani as opposed to Perry. Uh, that would have been interesting. Yeah. Because you would have had all of that on-screen backstory to have played off of when you you had those events happen. Uh, oh man. Yeah. Oh, man, and then have had her <laughs> through the Sixth Doctor? I think I might have liked that, but <laughs> that would have made her the longest-running companion, period. I could see the same type of scenario w- with her and the Sixth Doctor that I could have seen with Donna and Tenet, uh, because at any moment I felt like it could have been extremely normal and natural to have seen Donna just reach out and smack him across the face, you know, and I, yep. I think Tegan would have probably done the sixth doctor the same way at some oh, point, yeah. you know? Uh, oh yeah. And, and probably reined in some of that bombastic personality a little bit. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> okay. Any final thoughts and rating for resurrection of the dollars? Uh, I'll give Paul. you one of my final thoughts that I've held out to the end of the show uh, okay. because I kept wanting to bring it up all the way through the story, but I didn't want to break it up any more than we already have. <laughs> the helmets on these Dalek guards. Oh my yes, Dude, they are awful. They, they are, are horrible. They look like... Well, they almost look indecent, you know. They they almost look, you know, inappropriate for TV. Uh, well, it, what it is <laughs> is that they are designed to look yeah. like the top section of a Dalek. Yeah. If you take the the dome and the graded section, um, but that's not, that's what they're supposed to look like. Not what they look like, with, <laughs> except with the front of it, you know, opened up for like a visor and the face. Uh, so they've got this the Dalek stalk coming out the front. It's awful. Um, I'm looking. I, I would look. I would rather have seen the the eye stalk coming out of the forehead like we did in some of the the newer uh, episodes than to have seen these helmets because these helmets just made me cringe. I mean, I looked at these and I was going, that uh, that just doesn't look appropriate for television, you know, um, and and. You know, not that I'm trying to be a vulgar person or whatever. It's they're just not well done, uh, right. and <laughs> you know the the fact that they even felt the need to put these on these soldiers in the first place 
I don't even understand that because, well, you know, there's other ways of, you know, making it a distinct thing that these guys work for the Daleks. Yeah. In in the story notes that we have here on the TARDIS wiki, uh, John Nathan Turner, who was the, the showrunner, essentially, of Doctor Who at the time, hated those helmets, but they didn't have time to change them in the production schedule. But by the time they had been created, they had no time to change them before they went on camera. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sorry, man. Uh, look, I don't... No. I, I, I don't care if they had to go to Pinewood Studios and steal helmets from Return of the Jedi. They, they should have done something else other than these helmets. These were awful. They, I mean, they were horrible. It, yes, they, they're not good. Um, no matter if your mind is in the gutter or not, they're just they're not just good. not good. Um, they're oh, they're, they're not good. Horrible. <laughs> Yeah, um, pr- I promise you, my mind was not in the gutter. It was, you know, right. I mean, but even if they look like something uh, in a, indecent yes. or not to you, if if just from a design standpoint, they look ridiculous. they're awful. They're not they're good. Awful. Not good. Um, that and I'm glad that that was. And I'm glad that Lytton doesn't wear his the entire time. Those helmets. Oh, other than the couple of times we talked about the acting issues, mm-hmm. which really. You can kind of get past those. Right. Other than those, those helmets are the number one thing that took me out of the episode and made me go, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm having difficulty even following the story while I'm <laughs> seeing these things on screen, you know? <laughs> yeah. So from a, from a production perspective, I don't care if I had to have them with no helmets at all. I would have left those out of the show. I'm sorry. I just wouldn't have. They're horrible. <laughs> no, they're not good. They are not good. Anyway, let's go ahead and get to our ratings. How many Daleks would you rate Resurrection of the Daleks? Uh, I liked Peter Davison in this uh, a lot. Um, I wasn't really crazy with how they used the companions in this no. at all. Um, because I felt like that they literally just kind of shoved them off to the side and said, okay, we're going to find the least legitimate way that we can find to underutilize the companions in this story arc. So that kind of has some bearing on it for me. I think the story idea itself is good. Um, I think, Mm -hmm. I think the, the uh, interactions between the Daleks and uh, Davros and the doctor and all of that are good. I did notice in a few places, almost all the way through, the second Dalek voice actor really bothered me. Yeah. The, the The primary one was fine. Uh, the secondary one really bothered me because it kind of felt like they were going back to the original unaltered Day of the Daleks, where he was really accentuating every syllable you know and it wasn't all the way through the thing but it was in key key points in the story where it became noticeable for me um that just didn't sound like the other daleks did you know um so that kind of bothered me a little bit um i think the acting for davros in this was spot on i i think this 
might have maybe even been a little bit better than the original, you know, performance almost. Uh, it was it was identical in certain ways to the original actor in Genesis, but in certain places it kind of even up to the ante a little bit in, in uh-huh. certain ways. And, and I really liked that. Uh, so all things said, uh, the good, you know, versus the bad, um, with the, the overall thoughts put together, I, I would probably give this, I'm going to say about a six and a half. Uh, but the reason is it's not the actors that I have the issue with. It's partially, the execution it's partially the fact that i felt like that there was a little bit too much filler in certain places and not quite enough exposition in others and i feel like that just little key things that that affected the execution of the story just kind of made me give it a little bit lower rating and we can't give everything a 10 right no um, and but the 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 acting the actors, the main actors and everything were perfect. The interaction between them were perfect. The story or was perfect. I should say the story was great. It's just a lot of the execution. I think that I had some issues with. Yeah. And the helmets, you know, let's not forget yeah. the helmets. <laughs> that was a half a point right there. <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is a story that when I think back on it, I remember a lot of really good moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, like like you said, the interaction between the Doctor and the Daleks, Tegan's goodbye, mm-hmm. the the maneuvering between Davros and the Daleks. And all that was the perfect. Idea, you know. Yeah, because we get the idea that Davros is getting ready to just sort of say, screw the old model, I'm going to create a new model right. of Dalek. Which um, we'll get into that later. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that plays heavily in our next couple stories. Yeah. But when I, you know, before I rewatched it for to, for this review, I remembered this story arc as being full of great moments. Mm-hmm. When I went back and watched it for this, I was like, oh, I forgot some of these other not so stellar things. Right. And while the good moments in this story arc are very memorable and very good. Very outstanding. And very outstanding. There's stuff that between... The stuff between those moments... Mm-hmm. Nah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's, it's not overly amazing. Um, so I think while the moments and a lot of the moments we've, we've already discussed that are really great and really good, yeah. just the overall presentation with this sort of meh, stuff in the middle mm-hmm. i'm gonna have to give this a seven um that's that's the highest i can i, I can give this there, there's just yeah when you watch this hold on to those great moments because those will be memorable and those will stick with you i mean that that they're the great moments in this episode are memorable and they continue to be memorable right. the moments in between you just kind of have to go through I in mean, order to get to those. It almost moments. makes me want to see this re-edited so that they cut out some of the fat, per se, uh-huh. so that you don't have quite as much filler and stuff in there, so that it kind of, I guess, boosts the pace of it a little bit, you know? And 
in doing that, I really think that it could benefit the story overall because you won't have those meh type moments per se. You'll have this great moment and that great moment, this great moment. And, you know, you'll kind of, I don't want to say faster and more intense, like, you know, but it would be a little bit faster and more intense. You know, it would, I think that's one of the benefits that we have with the, the revival series is they tell the story in an hour most of the time. And if they, Mm -hmm. if they do it as two parter, then there's a reason why they do it as a two parter. It's not just, well, we just want to have all this time to tell a meh story most of the time, you know? Right. And so I think for them to, you know, put themselves in a position where they're going to uh, basically say, okay, we have to have four episodes. So we have to spread this out between four episodes and make this fit into four episodes. They could have just as easily told the story in three and probably made it better in doing so. Uh, the writer, Eric Soward, um, I'm also looking at the TARDIS w- wiki here in the story notes, uh, says that he ended up being unsatisfied with the story overall, had too many ideas and too many subplots. Um, and I think that's that's probably an accurate description. Um, it ended up being just a little, a little too much tried to squeeze in... A, too many plot points squeezed into this uh, that, and they weren't the same plot. Well, know? and half of them were fluff, you know. Right, because they never went anywhere. Yeah. So, which is why I say it yeah. felt like that they were trying to stretch it out by adding this additional stuff in there that they didn't have to have. If yeah. they had just cut that out, because that part was more or less fluff anyway. If they had just cut all that out and said okay, we're just going to stick to the key story. Yes, it's only going to take us three episodes to tell that story, but we're just going to stick to the key story. I think that they would have done themselves a great service. Well, if you want to get in on the conversation, tell us what you think of Resurrection of the Daleks. I think if we were too hard on it or uh, not hard enough on it, uh, let us know, please. Uh, go ahead and get in contact with us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Talking Time Lords. You can always tweet us at at Talking Time Lord on Twitter, or you can email us at TalkingTimeLords at gmail.com. Of course, our Tartars on the Internet, our home base, where you can find all the links to our social media, as well as a full list of all of our previous episodes, go to our website, TalkingTimeLords.com. Anything else, Paul, before we round out this episode? Just kind of looking forward to our next episode when we get to talk about some of the creepier elements of... uh of that story and, and uh, some of the things that if you just casually watch it, you might not pick up on uh, through your, your first watch through uh, yeah. because there are some really interesting and dark story elements in the next story that's coming up. I think you guys yep. will find it interesting. Yeah, no, that that'll be great uh, with the sixth doctor starring Colin Baker, who gets a bad rap, I think uh, in general. Uh, as a doctor, six is kind of cool. I, I am I'm a fan of of old Colin Baker, of the other Baker, if you will. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I believe that will wrap up this episode of Talking Time Lords. This has been episode number thirty six, Resurrection of the Daleks story review. For Paul, I'm Jason, and remember, until next time, 
May you hope far-flung hopes and dream impossible dreams. Thanks, guys. Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts. Or visit patreon.com slash thunderquack to help support the shows. Out the window he goes. Eh.